Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. Story in a while. Many of you have never heard it. I was a high school basketball coach in Louisiana. Had some really good teams. Took a really good team up to a tournament in Alexandria, Louisiana. And we were playing our arch rival that night in the tournament. That's kind of like the feature game. So the gym's packed out to see Central Baptist play Hope Baptist that, that evening. And, man, we get off to a good start. And in the second half, we got an 18-point lead. And our guys, my guys got a little complacent. And the other team started hitting some shots, and they're cutting the lead down. Then my guys start pressing a little bit, and we can't buy a bucket, and the other team just gets hotter and hotter, and they can't miss a basket. And finally, they chip away at it to where the buzzer goes off, and we're tied. And, of course, that sends us into overtime, and then double overtime, and we lose the game. And we had an 18-point lead in the second half. I mean, I was as down and as dejected as a coach could be. The next day, I'm sitting up in the bleachers by myself, of course. Nobody wants to be near me or around me. And this total stranger comes in and sits down beside me. I didn't know him. He didn't know me. And he starts talking. He said, he said I heard they had a barn burner of a game here last night. I said, I guess. <laughs> he, says, he said, I understand that Central Baptist had an 18-point lead. I said, yeah. He said, what kind of coach could blow a lead like that? <laughs> True story. True story. I said, you're looking at him. He said, ooh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then he moved away, so I'm sitting up there by myself. No fun. To, you know, I, I used to tell the guys on the team, we come to have fun and losing ain't fun. And uh, so anyway, that, those were good days. Assurance of salvation. Let's look at 1 John chapter 5, verse number 13. This should be a very important verse to all of you this morning and of great help to all of you this morning. John writes and says this. It's very clear. These things, talking about the entire book, have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. You can know. You should know. If you don't know, that could be problematic. Let's go, Lord, once again in prayer. Now, Lord, as we open your word this morning... I pray that you would give me the exact words to say and in the exact spirit you want them said, that the preaching of your word might be a blessing to the folks here this morning. This is an important topic, or John tells us that it's an important topic. And it's important if for no other reason than the fact that it's in your word, and if it's in your word, it's got to be important. So, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning struggling with this issue of assurance... May this be a help and a blessing to them. And Lord, maybe there's many folks here this morning that this isn't an issue. They know they're saved and 
they have no doubt about it. But maybe they know of someone who is struggling, and perhaps, Lord, through our website, they can direct them to hear this message, and it in turn be a blessing to them. So, Lord, bless our time together this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He wrote it, he said, that you may know that you have eternal life. Have you ever noticed when you're at an airport, you can observe the difference between two groups of people? Now, one group is generally much larger, one group much smaller. But at many airports, those waiting for the flight can be divided up into two groups. The biggest group is the one with the confirmed tickets. They've, they've got their boarding pass in their hand. And if you watch them, they're quite comfortable. They may be reading a newspaper, playing with their phone, might, might even be dozing off or just chatting with someone near them. But then the few that are there on standby, well, they're anything but calm. They, are, they can be nervous, they can be pacing back and forth up to the ticket counter, they can be asking the person there at the ticket counter, how are things going? They're pacing back and forth, they're fidgety as they can be. The difference is assurance. The ones with the boarding pass in hand, they are assured that they are going to be getting on the plane. Those that do not have a boarding pass, they do not have the assurance, therefore, They are filled with anxiety. So it is with us Christians. Those who have the assurance that they are going to heaven will be experiencing a a, a calmness, a peace about them. But those who lack the assurance, they wonder, am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I going to heaven? Am I not going to heaven? That kind of uncertainty can create great anxiety and can be very difficult to live with. This message, you'll see on the screen behind me, deals with the anxiety that comes with not knowing if you're saved and shows from Scripture the peace and security that comes from assurance of your salvation. If you're here this morning and you're one of those that's pacing, so to speak, You're one of those that's filled with anxiety. That can be rectified. Listen to God's word. Listen to the preaching this morning, and this can help you, or this can help you help someone else who may be struggling. Again, in 1 John chapter 5, verse number 13, it says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. He wanted them to know that they were born again. He wanted them to have the assurance of their salvation. (coughs) A pastor is the shepherd of a flock. And a literal shepherd cares about his flock. He cares about his sheep. And if any of his sheep show any uh, signs of trouble or distress, he is going to be attending to them. We are part of the Lord's flock. And he is aware of the fact that there are some people that struggle in this area with their assurance. And thankfully, this can be addressed. And it's very important that it be addressed. It's very important that you have this resolved in your heart. Why is it important? Because it can be very disconcerting if you are unsure. And it can even be disabling as far as you getting involved in ministry 
if you are uncertain about your salvation. One quote is that when you're not sure of your salvation, it's very easy to get discouraged and to backslide. This has been an issue that Christians have dealt with through the ages, through the centuries. In fact, it was, it was um, a topic of a Scottish minister back in the 1800s. Some of you would know the name Horatius Bonner. He said this back in the 1800s on this very topic, and I quote, Uncertainty as to our relationship with God is one of the most enfeebling and dispiriting of things. It makes a man heartless. It takes the pith out of him. He cannot fight. He cannot run, run run the race. He is easily dismayed and gives way. He can do nothing for God. But when we know that we are of God, we are vigorous, brave, invincible. There is no more quickening truth than this of assurance. So preachers have been trying to help congregations with this for years. And so it was true even of the more well-known Charles Spurgeon back in London in the late 1800s. He addressed this issue with his congregation. He said, and I quote, It cannot be right for us to be children of God and to not know our own Father. Are you not bidden to make your calling and election sure? Are you not a thousand times over exhorted to rejoice in the Lord and to give thanks continually? But how can you rejoice if the dark suspicion haunts you that perhaps, after all, you have not the life of God? Why is it that someone might question their salvation? Well, let me offer to you this morning some of the reasons, some, some of the reasons, some of the things that you in this room might be dealing with. This is not an exhaustive list, but these are five reasons why some people come to the point that they don't know whether or not they're saved. The first one, people often lack assurance because they cannot remember or point to a specific time when they received Christ. I'm thankful for those who can say, I got saved, let's say, July the 3rd at 8 a.m. in the morning, you know, uh, kneeling next to my bedroom on, you know, in, in 1987. And there are lots of people that can tell you the day and the date and even the place and the circumstances around when they got saved. But there's lots of people that can't. And yet they know they're saved. They, they do know there was a time that they trusted Christ as their Savior, and they remember doing that. But ask them the exact day or date or time, well, that was, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. A lot of water's passed under the bridge, and, and they don't know. But sometimes for those people who hear others give you the exact day and date, That might be a little intimidating to make you think, perhaps, that because I can't remember the exact day or date, I wonder if I'm even saved. That's a problem area for some people. A second reason, people often lack assurance because they question the procedure they went through when they accepted Christ. They question the the procedure. Well, I wonder if I did the right thing. I wonder if I said the right words. And there's all these questions about how it might have happened. 
the devil can use that on an individual to make them wonder, maybe I'm not saved. There's a third reason cited. People often lack assurance because of struggles they have with certain sins. A person thinks they're saved, but yet there's this area of battle. And it has dogged them for years. The Bible refers to that as besetting sins. Sins that's kind of unique to you. It's an area in which you struggle. And the area in which you struggle might be different from an area in which somebody else struggles, but it's your struggle. And sometimes when people are in that state where they are struggling, and it goes on for years and years, if they're not careful, they can begin to wonder, you know, am I truly saved? Because if I was saved, wouldn't I have gotten victory over that? That can be a problem for some people. There's a fourth area. The primary reason behind a lack of assurance is doctrinal misunderstanding and the consequent lack of faith in the finished work of Christ. There are some people that put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but they're thinking that maybe they should have done something more. Yeah, I put my faith in Christ, but maybe, maybe I should have done this also. You know, maybe, maybe I should have, you know, been more faithful in church. It could be in any one of a number of things. It's, it's, it's where you add something to Christ. And, and some people think that, you know, it, it can't just be a free gift. You know, we're taught that if we want something, you, you work for it. And, and yeah, there are things that you earn, but salvation is not something you earn. It is a gift. But there are people that have a hard time coming to that understanding that it is just that. It is a gift and you receive it. But the Bible is very clear about that. It, it's a gift. And then fifthly, another reason some people struggle with their salvation, finally, People often lack assurance because they have erroneously been taught that they should look to themselves and their works as the primary proof of their salvation. People just have their own ideas. They just come up with their own ideas. This is how I see it. And usually that is an indication that they really don't know their Bible. They haven't studied it out through their Bible if they went to the source where they could get assurance, they wouldn't be having all these faulty thoughts and ideas that's creating a problem. So when you start talking to people, as I have, about their salvation and the lack of assurance, usually it involves any one of these things that we just mentioned or any combination of them. That's no way to live. It is not fun especially when you understand that eternity is forever, and when you die, you don't get a do-over. There are no mulligans, you know, and once you pass away, that your eternal destiny is determined in this life, and so it is very important that we get it right. But it's not only important that we get it right, it's important that we have the assurance that we know for sure that we're saved. Dwight L. Moody said this, and this should be encouraging, it is our privilege to know that we are saved. It is our privilege to know that. Now, John, we have read already, said, These things have I written that you might know that you have eternal life. Now, was there some reason John was addressing this? And I think it's hinted at within that same book. 
In the book of 1 John, in chapter 2, verse number 18, look at what happened in this church that I think raised the issue that John had to address it. Look at what happened. This is a narrative. This is not doctrine here. This is just the story. John says to these people, little children, it is the last time, as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Now, he's talking about in the future. Even now, though, are there many Antichrists. You know, Antichrist is those who work against God. Now, in, in, the, in the tribulation, of course, there's going to be the, the, the Antichrist. But even now, there are people that are, in a sense, small case Antichrist, people who, who work against God. And in the time he lived, he's acknowledging there are people like that. He says again, even now are there many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. And then he says this about their congregation. They, these antichrists, these unsaved people, went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. He is acknowledging in this very book where he's talking about assurance, he is acknowledging the fact that, hey, there were some people among us that pretended to be one of us, but in the end they left us. And he says that's an indication that they were never of us. And I imagine I can just see it in my mind's eye, the people in this church. It'd be like a, a, a group here. Let's say this whole section over here. This section looks really lost over here, okay? No, let's say this whole next Sunday they're not here. You know, and they're never, they never come and darken these doors again. And you guys over here are saying, well, if they weren't one of us, who, who is? How do I know that I'm one of us? And I, it doesn't say it explicitly, but I would imagine that the idea that a, a group that they thought were Christians actually left and John said they were not Christian at all, it raised the issue. Well, who is? And how can you know? And for that reason, John addresses that issue. John MacArthur said this concerning this premise as to this raising the issue as to who really is saved. He said the false brethren's departure left John's congregation shaken. He assured those who remained that since they adhered to the fundamentals of the faith, which is a proper view of Christ, obedient and love, their salvation was sure. So we kind of understand now why he probably addressed the issue of writing this, that you might know that you're saved, because there were some people in that church they thought were saved. And then they're not saved, and John tells them they never were saved. Well, am I? Now the good news is he did address that. And God recorded it to be a blessing to any of you today who might be struggling in this area. And he addresses this at length throughout this whole book of, of 1 John. But there are three statements he makes that are very clear. That if this is you, you can check that off as being saved. And if this doesn't describe you, then you can't check it off and you need to rethink as to whether or not you are really saved or not. And while this whole book deals with this idea of assurance of salvation, again, 
I'm going to show you three verses in here that are very precise, very specific, and which all of us can understand. It's not open to various interpretations. And you can use these three points to do a, self, a self-assessment as to whether or not you were saved or not. What are those three points? He says, number one, you know you have eternal life when you desire to be obedient to Scripture. Okay, in that same book of the Bible, 1 John, where he says, I've written these things that you might know, he said this in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 3, he says, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. We do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. You want assurance that you are saved? Well, let me just simply ask you this based on that verse. Do you have a desire to obey God's word? You say, yeah, I have a desire to obey God's word. This isn't teaching that you're going to be perfect because in other places in the Bible, it's very clear you can't be perfect in this life. So the proper understanding of this verse would obviously be, in when you compare it to the Bible as a whole, it isn't talking about sinless perfection. It can't be. But it's simply talking about the fact that you have a desire to be obedient to God's word. Do you have that desire? Is that important to you? If, it's, if you're here this morning as a visitor and you never even think about God's word, that's a pretty good indication that you need to check up on your salvation. And if you're here this morning and, you know, you, you're, ra- you're, you're faithful in church, but it's because your parents make you, or it's just because you've always gone to church, or it seems to be the acceptable thing to do, but at your core, you don't have a desire to be obedient to God's word, you need to rethink some things. But if you're here this morning and, you know, pastor, I don't always get it right, but do I want to get it right? Do I, do I work at getting it right? Yeah, I do. Well, hereby know we that we know him if we keep his commandments. One writer says, There is but one way of knowing with certainty that we have known God, and that is by keeping his commandments. The knowledge which does not lead to holiness is not the knowledge of God. I don't know if I should share this, but I I, I guess I, I will. I've kind of redone the way that I do funerals. I always give the plan of salvation at funerals. And I used to simply ask for a show of hands if you prayed that prayer. And it, it wasn't uncommon for 15 or 20 hands to go up at some funerals. And everybody's all excited about it. Everybody got saved. But if you look back through history, those people, 90% of them, 99% of them, never darken the doors of a church. They never show any interest in obeying God's word. Never. And that's one of the reasons I've changed my prayer. I still give the plan of, of, of salvation, and, you know, it's, it's up between them and God. Whether people show hands, whether you ask for hands or not, it's between them and God. Amen? I mean, it's going to be whatever God says, not what I say. But when I look at this, you know, you, you look at people and you say, you know, they say they're saved, but they haven't attended church ever. There, there's, you sense no desire to, obedient, to be obedient to God's word. That ought to raise a question in their mind. It ought to raise a question in people who care about them in their mind. 
certainly raises a question in my mind. But for those of you that are in church today, and those of you that might be struggling with this issue, be encouraged by the fact that if at your core you really do want to know God's Word, you really do want to obey God's Word, that is Him telling you, listen, that's an indication that you're saved. But there's a second indication, and He says it quite succinctly. You know you have passed from death into life when you have a real affection for other Christians. When you have a real affection for other Christians. Listen to what He says. We know what he's talking about. He wants you to know that you're going to heaven. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. One of my concerns about people is those that will raise their hands at a funeral and they'll never darken the doors of a church. Well, I see a very clear violation of an indication that if you're truly saved, that, you know, you, are, uh, you're, you want to be in church. You want to be around your Christian brothers and sisters. And if you don't, that's, that's the dashboard warning light blinking red before you. That, that, that's, that's a problem there. You, you need to reconsider things. One writer says the sentiment here is that it is an infallible evidence of true piety if we love the followers of Christ as such. Again, look look at the verse. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Well, the reverse of that would be logically, if you don't love the brethren, something's up. You say you're saved, but you don't love the brethren. You, you never go to church. You never come to fellowships. You have no desire to be with them. You don't have an affection for them. Something is wrong. However, positively speaking, according to this very clear verse, you're here this morning and you struggle with your salvation. But at the same time, you can say, you know, pastor, I don't always get it right, but yeah, I, I want to. That's a good check in that box. And you say, Pastor, I, I, I like coming to church. I, there, there's no group of people I'd rather be with than my Christian family, the, the brotherhood of, of Christ. I love being with them. Will you check that box off as well? You Because know, Satan can come along and he can whisper things in your ear just to get you to doubt. And when you doubt, you get put up on a shelf. And that's right where, you know, Satan wants you, where you're not effective. And doubting can do that. But God wants you to know that you're saved. And you have, as a heart's desire, to obey God's word. That's a great check in that box. You love being with God's people. You're comfortable around God's people. You appreciate God's people. Oh, yeah, there's a few knuckle, knuckleheads always around. But you, you learn to love them in spite of themselves as well. That's another box that you can check. But there's a third one. You know you're in Christ when you sense the presence of his spirit. Again, very clear in God's word. Hereby know we that we dwell in him. Hereby know we. Because he hath given us of his spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
is a for sure sign that you are a born-again child of God because the Spirit only indwells those who are born-again children of God. One writer said, It is the testimony of the Holy Spirit within us that makes it possible for us to know that we abide in Him. So an obvious question this morning would be then, what is the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Say, I I think I have the Holy Spirit. What, What is the evidence of the Holy Spirit? Well, there's lots of verses we could go to that would indicate, you know, the Holy Spirit guides us and he he teaches us. One of them, more familiar ones, is found in Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. That's the fruit of the Spirit. So if you are saved and you have the Holy Spirit in you, One of the evidences that the Holy Spirit is in you is the fruit of the Spirit, what it is producing. And compared to when you were lost, you now have greater love. Compared to when you were lost, you have greater joy. Compared to when you were lost, you have greater peace. Compared to when you were lost, you have long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. You're different now than when you were before you got saved. And that difference in this case, when we see these traits growing in you, developing in you at a way that you didn't see them before, that is an indication that you have the Holy Spirit. And the Bible again says, hereby we know that we dwell in him because he hath given us his spirit. The Lord loves his children. He doesn't want to see them in anxiety and worry and fear, especially in this area. And that's why he had John write, these things have I written unto you, that you might know that you are saved. It would be a wonderful victory in your life today through John's writings, 2,000 years down the road, it speaks to your heart this morning. And you leave out of here this morning understanding. Let's just review. You know you have eternal life when you desire to be obedient to Scripture. No, you might not get it right all the time. Who among us gets it right all the time? But all of us in this room can desire to get it right. You have that desire in you. You have an appreciation for God's word. You believe that it's God's word and you want to get it right. Don't be doubting your salvation. Lost people don't think that way. Number two, you know you have passed from death into life when you have a real affection for other Christians. Oh, somebody might treat you bad at church or things not go your way and you might have a problem with somebody, but still, this is your happy place. This is your oasis. Pulling in this parking lot, you're around people that you know they are saved, they are God's people. None of them are perfect, but the Lord's done a work on their lives unlike what's been done with lost people at the bar room and in the workplace that are unhappy and miserable and what have you. And there's there's a certain peace you have here because you're here among God's people. The Lord wrote that and said, look, if if that's describing you, don't don't fret over your salvation. Don't, don't, 
Don't listen to Satan. Don't, don't listen to those around you who, who are lost that would plant seeds. You know, it, it, there's a reason why you have an affection for God's people. Lost people don't. Lost people, you've got to beg them to come to church. You've you got to force them to come to church. There's a huge difference between them and you. What is it? You're saved. You're born again. And then thirdly, you know you're in Christ when you sense the presence of his spirit. It's not something spooky. It's not something weird. It's just you're different than you were before. Think back to when you were lost and what you thought about and how you had no regard for God whatsoever. It was all about you and your image and your life and what you wanted. And now things are different. You're more aware of how you talk. You're, you're, you're aware of what you say. You have an awareness of how you look. I mean, you're different. It's the Holy Spirit working in you. If there's one thing I hate, it, it's maybe among, of all the things, one of the worst is when any of my children are going through tough times and are experiencing anxiety. I, I, don't, I don't want them to go through that. I would rather go through it than them go through it. And the Lord looks down at his children. And he doesn't want to see you in anxiety over your salvation for sure. I picture it this way. John, I need you to take out your pen. I see some of my children. They had a problem in that church. And looks like now a lot of them are worried about, well, am I saved? Am I going to heaven? Here, I, I need to help him. Here's what I want you to write. These things have I written unto you. These things have I, that you might know. He says, let, let, me, let me give them some things they can hang their hat on. And he says it very clear. You know, being saved doesn't mean you're perfect. You're never going to be perfect. But you can have a heart for God. You, you can have a heart to be obedient to Scripture. You can have a, an affection for God's people. You can have a sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Charles Spurgeon said this. If any man is not sure that he is in Christ, he ought not to be easy. He ought not to be easy one moment until he is sure. See, Charles Spurgeon was dealing with it in his congregation. Dear friend, without the fullest confidence as to your saved condition, you have no right to be at ease, and I pray you may never be so. This is a matter too important to be left undecided. So those of you that are saved, take comfort in the fact that, yeah, I I, I do want to get it right according to God's word, and you know... I do look forward to coming to church, and I I hate it when I miss. And no, I'm not the same person I was before I was saved. And that's got to be because of of the Holy Spirit. You be assured today that based on God's word, that those are indications that you indeed are saved. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're saved. It it is that simple. And you you cannot base it on feelings. Feelings change. You can feel saved one day and feel lost the next day. Put your confidence in God's word. Put your confidence. He says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You called upon the name of the Lord, 
you're saved. You know, don't base it on your feelings. Don't base it on false theology. Just trust the Lord. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Did you call upon the name of the Lord? I, I did. Well, then you're saved. First John chapter 5, verse number 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life. In closing, let me say this. If you're here this morning, and Scripture just isn't a part of your life, it's not a part of your concern, according to the Bible... That's a pretty good indication. You just may not be saved. If you have no affection for God's people, you don't need the church, you don't need fellowship, you don't need to be here, you know, you don't need to associate with other Christians, you're quite comfortable with the lost crowd, you just might be one of those in the lost crowd. If you haven't changed for the better in your lifetime, I mean, you got the same feelings, the same... Uh, anxieties, the same problems, the same issues, there's been no growth, there's no fruit of the Spirit in your life. That's an indication from God's Word that you need to be saved. The good news this morning is you can be. If you're here this morning, you can be saved. You're here this morning, you say, but pastor, you know, I've just lived a terrible life. I got so many skeletons in my closet, there's not room for another skeleton. Listen, Christ died for sinners, just like you. And he loves you and he wants you to be saved. And you simply receive the gift. I mean, he went to the cross. He died, not for his sins, but he died the perfect sacrifice for your sins. And he offers forgiveness. He offers salvation, being saved from hell. He offers that to you, the Bible is very clear, as a free gift and you simply receive it. And you can do that today. Let's stand, please, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Mayo Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.